So, I'm going to open us up with uh, the reading that we've been opening up all of our sessions lately with. It's from Isaiah 61. If you want to open up your book, you can follow along. It's the first few verses of Isaiah 61. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me, because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives, and release from darkness for the prisoners. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God. To comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion. To bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes. The oil of joy instead of mourning and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. And we're just going to keep repeating it for a little while. This is what Jesus declared at the start. Before he had done anything, he said, he quoted from this passage. And, uh, and so it's sort of something of a manifesto. Um, but recognizing that, that particularly the John, the apostle, and the writer, describes Jesus as the word of God. And so he comes and he says, and, and again, I'm just going to be relentlessly boring about this because I think it's right at the center of who we are, and we must never forget it, that, that Jesus is the action word of God. He's the verb of God. He's the verb of the kingdom. And he read this before he had done anything, and he said, as you hear it today from me, it's fulfilled. Right, So he didn't say, I came to preach good news to the poor, which is what we talked about last week. He came and essentially said, I am good news. I am the proclamation of good news to the poor. Right? Not, I'm going to do this. I am this. And so that is at the heart of what God, I think, is, is crafting us and calling us towards is the activity of the kingdom, sure, but only through the nearness of Jesus, right? Only through the invitation of Jesus into a podcast, through a podcast, a nearness of questions, right, that, that are not just about suddenly having answers, but about creating a door for Jesus to step into and be the thing that is going to bring healing or restoration or whatever to your neighbor, right? Not just a good answer, Jesus. So, so like I said last week, we were, we were talking about, um, you know, Jesus saying, and it's, it's in Luke that we've been pulling from, from Jesus' quotation of Isaiah, uh, the good news to the poor. Um, today, we're just moving right along, and uh, Isaiah says, he has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted. And so the verb here, the action of God, is, is, to, is to bind up, is, as we would understand it, as we would read it. And then more specifically, to bind up the brokenhearted. So, um, so first of all, 
let's, I had an, this is funny, I had an interesting conversation with somebody about this um, a couple of weeks ago, and, um, and we were talking about this part of, of the scripture, and this person had been following Jesus for a long time. Um, they're, not, they're not in the room here, they're not part of this community, but, and, and I, I, we were talking about this, and I said, you know, so the language to bind up is, is like a healing term here. This is a medical term. This is a healing term. And it was interesting what a, like I saw a light come on that it's, that it's like this idea of God sewing up, like, like, he, like doing a doctoring kind of thing, right? Being a healer. And I'm not sure what that language might have meant outside of that, maybe binding up as in, as in just um, uh, like containing or something. But there's something that's restorative in the word to bind up. If you're a doctor or a nurse or whatever and somebody has a gaping wound and you bind that wound, right, or you, you're, 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 you're stitching them to, together again. Right? Or if somebody sprains an ankle and you bind up that ankle, it's, it's a restorative act. It's there for the purpose of, of healing. Right? And so this is, this is a, a, he's coming and he's, he's saying something that is restorative. And what's funny is that as I opened up the text um, to see what brokenhearted meant, I was surprised with what I saw there and surprised by what I didn't see. In, in the Hebrew um, word that we've translated into brokenhearted. And we're going we're gonna to do that in just a second. Um, and as I've promised you, I'm always going to mispronounce words. Um, it's just a gift that I have. Make sure I get the right one up here. Is that coming up? No, it's not coming up, is it? Well, that's not helpful at all. Okay, back to the drawing board with that. That was going to be a really neat idea that was going to... Um, okay, forget it. I'm just going to explain it to you. Um, so first, to bind up is what we think it is, right? It's it's a word that uh, I think is pronounced kabash. And, uh, and it's to tie, to bind, to bind up to restrain, to bandage, right? So as I said, this is a healing kind of a word. Um, The next one is very interesting to me. The word for brokenhearted is is shabar. And the only reason that that any of that matters is just to remind us that we're we're dealing with an interpretation, and so we're dealing with all of the assumptions that come that the interpreters are making when they're translating the scriptures for us. So it's not written in English, right? I think we all know that. So <laughs> it's just, it can be, it'd be easy to forget that though, right? It can be easy to forget that this is not, in, that our Bibles are not in their native tongue. And so Just talk to me for a second before I do this. Talk to me about what you hear when you hear the word brokenhearted. Like I kind of gave away an image here, right? Like this is 
But when you hear brokenhearted, context, like just if you're, if you're comfortable with that, just shout out something that comes to mind. Like let's just kind of do a word game here. Pain, sadness, yeah, loss, shattered, disappointment. Teenager who's broken up with their boyfriend or girlfriend, yep, yep. So those are hard days. They really are hard days. You realize later it's ridiculous, but in the moment, it's super hard. Close to the point of not being able to come back. So, yeah, it's, it's like, it's a very emotional sort of landscape, right? Uh, it, 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 when I read it, it's like, I, I, I sort of infer some of the words like, you know, to bind up the disappointed, um, uh, to, to, you know, to bind up those who are emotionally damaged to, um, you know, this, this kind of thing. When I look at the word, what it, what it means, it's to, to, literally, to break into pieces, to break in or to break down, to rend, to rip violently, to wreck, to crush, to quench, to break, to rupture, to be broken, to be maimed, to be crippled, to be wrecked, to be shattered. It's brutal. And heart isn't in there at all. It's actually not referring to an emotional state. It's a state of brokenness. A state of shatteredness. Completely disempowered. Kids are doing a leaf exercise. Right? I like, I like these things. If you could just put that back together for me, that would be excellent. <laughs> like the thing about brokenness, see, broken hearts, we, you know, we can have all sorts of hallmarky responses to a broken heart. Like we might with a teenager who's having a rough, a, a rough go of it with a, a relationally, you know, or a young adult or whatever. But we know, you know, broken hearts heal and... Um, in our vernacular around that stuff. You know, we'll throw that word around. I feel really heartbroken. And it, what it means, it means something serious. It means that I'm in pain, right? But not past the point of, typically, past the point of no return. Right? Brady said, almost past the point of no return. Well, no, that's not what this language is about. This is done. This is broken. And I remember as a kid, um, and I don't remember specifically what the toy was, but I was uh, in my backyard playing with something. And um, I don't think I was, you know what's funny? I don't think I was like that young. (laughs) I'm going to say I was like 15 or something. Like I'm not saying like an 8-year-old or a 5-year-old or something. And something broke. And I was so, I, I, honestly, I wish I could tell you specifically, and, and, you know, and maybe I should just make it up, but I'm going to be honest. I don't remember the, the thing that broke. And I don't remember if I was disappointed that it was broken or if I was afraid that I had broken something. Something in my emotional memory tells me that I was afraid of, of uh, retribution. <laughs> but something broke. And what I remember was 
looking at it and being like, no, 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 unbreak. Let me try this. In Jesus' name, unbreak. Right? <laughs> Nothing. And this is, you know, such is the way of like the eager new believer, right? I, I thought, oh, maybe if I walk around, <laughs> he's not even kidding you. Maybe if I walk around my house seven times with all sorts of, <laughs> this is true. I don't even know if you know this story. <laughs> I married an idiot. <laughs> so, so like maybe if I walk around like seven times, you know, I know that the walls came down, but maybe like the reverse will happen because I want the reverse to happen. And, and the stupid thing stayed broken, right? It was not to be restored. And do you guys know what that feels like? The moment where something is past the point of no return. What that is, that is entropy, right? This is, we have, we have language for this. This is one of the, in physics, this is a fundamental governing property of the universe that we live in is that stuff that is in order will become disordered eventually. And occasionally you have pockets of energy that will, um, that will kind of reorder for a time but even that eventually will dissipate. This is the, this is the principle of entropy that we see. And, uh, and this is a, a law. It's described as a law. It's understood to be immutable, which means that there isn't an exception to that. Um, and there's even a really good answer from the scientific community. There's a really good answer for these moments where the universe seems to organize in very specific ways in our, you know, we would look at ourselves. Okay, but um, the scientists will be correct when they say, yes, but, um, but you will die and all of the energy that's organized in you will eventually be dissipated out, right? This is, this is kind of the, the conversation here. Um, and entropy is, so what we're talking about is death, fundamentally. The disordering of something that is currently ordered. And that's why when stuff breaks, you can't unbreak it. Some things can be healed for time, but they can't be unbroken. This is part of what I understand when I think of living in a fallen and broken world, is this is a consequence of, of this off-kilterness that we see. Um, and so when, when Jesus is talking about coming to, 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 to bind up and to heal the, the broken, the shattered, the irreparable, that's a powerful declaration. Um, I just want to read you a, a quote, actually, with regards to uh, entropy, because I, I think it's helpful. So this is a definition that I got from some website that sounded smart. So entropy basically says that the universe tends toward disorder. It's like I tend towards down, right? And apparently out, but that's another term. Put simply, entropy is a measure of disorder. And the second law of thermodynamics states that all closed systems tend to maximize 
entropy. What that means is that basically, every, like I just said, everything is going to flatten out and become disordered in, according to this. Reversing this ever-increasing tendency towards disorder requires the input of energy. That's how we get around this thing. But the rub of it is that whenever we, we do this and we bring healing or we reverse something that is, we, when we bring order, the amount of energy required is always, basically, you can't conserve energy, right? Like, this is, this is why we're running out of energy, because it takes, like, on a really hot summer day, if you bring your freezer into your living room and open the door to your freezer, what's going to happen is that your living room is going to heat up. It's not going to cool down. It doesn't matter how much cold is coming out of the freezer. What happens is that it requires more heat. It generates more heat than cool. Right? Tracking with me here? This is fundamental. This is a fundamental law. And we're going to go someplace with that in a minute. We're going to... Fixing stuff isn't free. Healing isn't free. It costs something. And so, as I was contemplating this, my mind jumped forward, as it often does, to the end of the book. Jump forward to that culmination in Revelation, right? is written down by John the Revelator, which is such an awesome word, Revelator. And there's this scene where you have this fantastic city that boggles our every concept of, of what a metropolis is. It's the size of a continent. It's actually like the size of a continent, close to it's huge. It comes down and it roots its bones, it roots itself under the bones of the earth, remade. And there's this crazy language that says that the sun, there is no night, and the sun is not necessary anymore, the shining sun, because the radiance of God is in the heart of the city. And the throne of the Father and of the Lamb is there, and it provides all the light, right? And all of the heat, and all of the energy, and it's like it's like it's the Shangri La of physicists to find cold fusion, right? Energy that's free, something that creates more energy than it uses as they try to control it. And when, when Jesus is, is coming and he's talking about this, it's not some meager little making people who are, who are emotionally fragile feel better. It is that too. But it actually is tied right into this understanding that Jesus is, like he doesn't just bring healing, he is healing. And it costs him everything except that he is unending in his capacity 
to come and to heal and to restore. And so when we come with our brokenness, and he comes around us and he binds us, like this is the God that we are encountering. This is, I think it's very profound. God healing the broken, the shattered, the, ugly, uh, the utterly destroyed is a taste of the age to come. Right? It's an expression of the future breaking into the present. This is like classic kind of vineyard slash kingdom teaching stuff, right? The already and the not yet. We reach forward and we, we say, God, you're, doing, you're going to do this. And we ask that you would give us a demonstration of this right now as we pray for this person who's sick. Or as we invite you into the landscape of our own shattered lives and ask you for healing. It's, it's something that is always reaching forward. It's part of a bigger story, right? Um, a good friend of mine, Tom Vogel, who some of you guys met, uh, they were here for the commissioning service. Um, and uh, Tom is a fantastic storyteller. He's probably the best storyteller. Of, I would put him right up next to Stuart McLean. He just rocks a room. Um, and I'm going to get him here to tell the story someday. That's going to happen. Um, but he has this funny thing that he says, and he always likes to say shocking things. But he, he says, you know, healing the sick and raising the dead, that stuff, that's parlor tricks for God. He said, seeing a broken heart and a broken life get healed, that's a miracle. Right? From the book of Tom. I want to just read for you in our our space of of closing because, oh, you know what? I don't want to lose this moment. So this was, this was given to me the day after uh, a day of tremendous tragedy in my life. And what it is, it's made by an, uh, an artist by the name of Heidi Brennan. And um, some of you have met Heidi. She, she did the uh, um, Imaginarium with us last year. And she works with glass. And she worked with glass in, in that time. Um, and she's gone on to other substances, but Anyway, so working with glass, the thing that happens with glass is that uh, it gets shattered and broken and irrepar- you know, irreparably damaged all the time. These are nice pictures. Um, and, and so the day after uh, a day of great tragedy, um, this got given to me. And what Heidi does is she would, at that time, she would take the broken shards of her various pieces and she would turn them into kaleidoscopes. And so this is, a, this is her first, or one of her first. And it's quite remarkable. She didn't give it to me. Somebody bought it from her and, and then gave it to me. But the promise of it is is Stunning promise of it is that like take a look be careful but take a look through this and just and just turn it this is a promise that's inherent in this thing is that god is going to take something that is shattered and he is going to create a capacity for beauty that i could not conceive of in my wholeness 
right? A capacity for beauty that I could not conceive of in my wholeness. And, and it's true, you know, I don't care who you are as an artist, there's an infinite number of, of images that will come through that because it's tumbling glass. It changes constantly. There is, it never repeats itself. It dances and it plays with the light. It is, it is beautiful and it is stunning and it is only possible through brokenness. And so I think that there's something in this that, again, and I, gosh, you know, I always talk too long. Um, but we can be so addicted to our need to be whole and to be strong and to be put back together again that we sometimes, I fear we can, we can fail to see the beauty that God can be creating in our in our in our brokenness and what he's doing with us in our brokenness. It's part of the kingdom promise is to weave something that is beautiful because you guys know that it's offensive to look at somebody who is truly broken and to, and to give them a bumper sticker answer, right? Oh, God will never give you more than you can handle, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, there's context for that. It is in the Bible, but there's a, but it's, but the way that we, the way that we wield that sucker, hey, you know, um, and, and so when, it's not that I want to make us into people who like celebrate being pathetic, but we need to be honest, right? And to allow God into our brokenness and to allow the lies that, you know, it, where we present our wholeness. We do that all the time. We present how you know, and we try, this is, um, this is broken record stuff, but I just think it's important. Um, okay. I want to read from Psalm 51. If you can just uh, maybe stand up. This is ministry time. <clears throat> this is a different kind of brokenness. David has just proven that he is an evil, that he has evil in him. He's done something fundamentally evil. He's murdered a man and stolen his wife because he got her pregnant. Right? And he's confronted with this and the lies and the deceit and all of the presentation of perfection and wholeness that he projects is fallen Nathan the prophet has come and has laid it out before him. And so this is so this is the prayer. This is hard because it's easy for us to identify the brokenhearted as a victim, but this is the brokenhearted as the oppressor. Right? But this is what David says. Have mercy on me, O God. According to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions transgressions, and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only, some people might have an opinion on that one, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. 
Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Yet you desired faithfulness even in the womb. You taught me wisdom in that secret place. Cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore me to the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Then I will teach transgressors your way so that sinners will turn back to you. Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God. You are God, my Savior, and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. Open my lips, Lord, and my mouth will declare your praise. You do not delight in sacrifice, or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart you, God, will not despise. May it please you to prosper Zion, to build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will delight in the sacrifices of the righteous, in the burnt offerings offered whole. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. So God, I, I pray that, that you would, um, we come to you as a humble people. That's what this is about. As a humbled people. God, we want to receive your healing touch, your restorative touch. God, that your, your touch that doesn't just reverse time, but actually takes brokenness and turns it into something that is stunning and beautiful. And so, Lord, whether we come to you, some of us as victims, some of us as oppressors, God, we, we, we want to come to you with a humbled broken spirit. Because, Lord, that's, that's kind of what's at the backdrop of this whole thing. But, Lord, you sustain us. You heal us. And so, again, Lord, we ask that that we would not just be receivers of this but God, we would be a community that also is this. That just as you are healing, God, that insofar as your presence and your spirit and your son is, is among us, that we would be that kind of people. That we would be healing. That we would be, recog- we would be able to recognize beauty. So, God, we receive your healing. I'm just going to close this with a closing benediction. It kind of sets our eyes a little bit higher again. It's from Ephesians. 
Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen.